You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Edgeworks Nebula. Hello, and welcome to Settle the Stars. Hey folks, this is Lacey Hannon. When you think of the constellations, certain big ones like Orion or Ursa Major probably spring to mind. Any of the corresponding zodiac signs would likely be candidates too, but you don't hear the name Ophiuchus come up too often. And that's a shame, because there are some very cool things going on in the vicinity of this lesser-known constellation. Best viewed during the summer months of June, July, and August, Ophiuchus may not be as famous because it's not exactly the easiest constellation to find. Its stars tend to be on the dimmer side as far as constellations go, but if you're able to spot the brilliant red giant Antares in nearby Scorpius, you can direct your gaze upward to find Ophiuchus, sprawling outline. Ophiuchus is the 11th largest constellation, and the overall impression of the figure appears even greater when combined with the two neighboring constellations, Serpent's Caput, the Serpent's Head, and Serpent's Cauda, the Serpent's Tail, which illustrators usually depict as one great winding serpent that's coiled around Ophiuchus's waist and held in his hands. The name Ophiuchus is Greek for snake bearer. In his book Babylonian Star Lore, author Gavin White suggests that the idea of the constellation being a man bearing a snake may have evolved from the Babylonian god Nera, who had the upper body of a human and the lower body of a serpent. The ancient Greeks had a few different ideas on whom the snake wrangling figure was meant to represent. The most popular viewpoint seems to be that Ophiuchus is Asclepius, the son of Apollo and god of medicine. If you've ever wondered just how a snake wound around a staff became the modern, universal symbol for medicine, Asclepius' story has your answer. That symbol is known as the Rod of Asclepius and is not to be confused with the staff that has two entwined snakes and wings at the top, which is known as the Cadesis, and which is a Hermes thing, not an Asclepius thing, which often gets placed on commercial health products anyway. There are a couple different stories concerning Asclepius, snakes, and the life-saving power of medicine. In one, the son of King Minos, Glaucus, drowned in a jar of honey and the oracle at Delphi told the king that Asclepius could revive him. So Minos had the god brought to Crete where he was held detained until he somehow accomplished the improbable feat of bringing back the deceased. While pondering this problem, Asclepius saw a snake coming after the honey and killed it with a sword. A second snake then appeared with a special herb that brought its slithery friend back to life. 
After taking a moment to appreciate the adorable sight of a snake carrying an herb for its fallen friend, and reconciling his shame over having killed its friend in the first place, Asclepius used the herb to bring Glaucus back to life. Another account suggests Athena didn't know what to get Asclepius for his birthday, so she reached for the nearest thing and was like, Happy birthday, I got you Medusa's blood. I was just helping Perseus kill some gorgons and thought of you, hope you like it. Having been tutored in the art of medicine by the sage centaur Chiron, Asclepius experimented with Athena's gift and found that blood from the left side of Medusa's head was poison, but blood from the right side had the opposite effect. It revived the dead. This turned out to be the perfect gift for somebody interested in medicine, but when Hades started noticing his numbers going down, the king of the underworld decided to have a word with the guy up top. Asclepius was bringing everybody back, and Zeus knew things were really going to get out of control if his grandson decided to share the secret to immortality with mankind. So Zeus struck him dead with a thunderbolt, and the secret to immortality died with him. But Asclepius achieved a kind of immortality nevertheless when Zeus placed his likeness in the stars to honor him. Not everyone in ancient Greece attributed these stars to Asclepius, however. Some believed they represented Asclepius's father, Apollo, and his victory over the ancient serpent known as Python. Sometimes depicted as a dragon in medieval art, Python was unwittingly created by Gaia at the dawn of time and roamed the earth from there on, terrorizing humanity. Imagine being raised to believe there's a prehistoric-sized anaconda out there somewhere just waiting to get you. When Zeus conceived the twin gods Apollo and Artemis with the titan Leto, Hera was outraged and spurred Python to pursue Leto throughout her pregnancy. This chapter in Greek mythology might actually explain why, according to Claudius Elianus, the mongoose is considered a sacred animal to Leto. Apollo later slew the monstrous python with a volley of arrows and founded the Oracle of Delphi upon its carcass. But because Apollo had taken a life, Zeus demanded he serve a penance. Yes, apparently every life was sacred in ancient Greece, even that of ferocious man-eating serpents spontaneously formed from the primordial sludge, never mind that Zeus himself went around throwing thunderbolts at people willy-nilly. For his penance, Apollo inaugurated and presided over the Pythian games, which included wrestling, boxing, the incredibly scary-sounding rules-free combat, a variety of foot races including one while wearing armor, chariot racing, and the pentathlon. The games were held every four years, with the three years in between belonging to the Nemean Games, the Isthmian Games, and of course, the Olympics. Yet another account suggests Ophiuchus represents one of the priests of Troy, Laocoon, who tried to warn his people about the Trojan horse and begged them to destroy the offering instead of taking it into the city. Athena, who was always keeping an eye out for Odysseus, the architect of the Trojan horse, sent two sea serpents to strangle Laocoon and his sons where they stood on the shore. With the doomsayer done for, the Trojans brought the horse into their city and the rest, as they say, is history. Whether Serpent's Caput and Serpent's Cauda are meant to portray these assassin sea serpents, the ancient and terrifying python, or merely a good-hearted slitherer who brought some magical herbs to his slain friend, 
The combined forms of these three constellations paint a very clear picture of a human holding a snake at waist height. That is, if you're able to spot them. As mentioned earlier, Ophiuchus is one of the dimmer constellations in the night sky. In addition to using Antares of Scorpius to know where to look, you can also use the bright red supergiant Rasalgethi as a reference point. This star serves as the head of Hercules and sits nearly in line with the brightest star of Ophiuchus, its own head, Rasalheg. Rasalheg, which is Arabic for head of the snake charmer, is a binary star system 48 light years away that's made up of a rapidly spinning white subgiant and an orange dwarf. The greater of the two stars, the white subgiant, is two and a half times the size of the sun and more than 25 times as bright. Because of the star's incredibly fast rate of spin and the centrifugal force that's created, Russell Haig's dominant star has flattened at its poles, producing an effect known as gravity darkening. Because the flattened poles have higher surface gravity than the equatorial region, their temperatures are correspondingly higher as well, and they shine more brightly, darkening the star's broad equator by comparison. Another notable star that lies just outside Ophiuchus' right shoulder is a red dwarf called Barnard's star. This star is named for American astronomer Edward Emerson Barnard, who discovered in 1916 that it has the largest proper motion of all the stars in our sky. A star's proper motion is the amount it appears to change position from our vantage. One of the closest stars to Earth, Barnard's star is just under six light years away from us. The only stars that are closer are Alpha Centauri, 4.37 light years distant, and Proxima Centauri, 4.24 light years distant. With its range of motion, Barnard's star will come within 3.75 light years of us by the year 9800, making it our new nearest neighbor. Despite how close it is currently, this star is still difficult to see without the aid of a telescope due to its humble size and modest glow. But if you do manage to get it in your sights, you'll find yourself looking at what may just be the oldest star in our galaxy. Barnard's star is estimated to be around 10 billion years old. That's six and a half billion years older than our sun. While the stars of Ophiuchus may not be the brightest of the lot, one former star in the constellation shined brighter than any other save for our sun when it went supernova in the year 1604, remaining visible even during the day for a period of three weeks. To date, this has been the most recent observable supernova, located 23,000 light years away near the Milky Way's star-studded central region. The star appeared so brilliant in October of 1604 that many, including the German astronomer for whom it's named, Johannes Kepler, thought it was a new star. What they were actually witnessing was the end of a young white dwarf no more than a billion years old. Though they were wrong about what caused this new phenomena, Kepler, Galileo, and others in the astronomy community used the event to challenge the prevailing Aristotelian dogma that the heavens were perfect and unchanging. More recent studies have determined that Kepler's supernova was likely a binary system and one that was significantly richer than our sun in metals such as chromium, manganese, and nickel. Beyond its stars, past and present, 
However brilliant or however dim, Ophiuchus offers a variety of interesting deep sky objects for professional and amateur astronomers alike to marvel over, including a number of dark nebulas that were catalogued and published by E. E. Barnard in 1919. One of these, known as Barnard 68, resides somewhere between 400 to 500 light years away, making it quite possibly the closest dark nebula to Earth. What makes a dark nebula a dark nebula is the fact that it blocks the light of any stars situated behind it, thus creating the appearance of a void in space. Astronomers believe the tightly compacted dust and gas of Barnard 68 should form into a brilliant new star in our heavens in a cool 200,000 years. Just a drop in the bucket as far as time goes in the universe. The hit mobile game Terra Genesis was all about taking a new world and bringing it to life over time, from a barren wasteland to a verdant paradise. But before we can achieve a new Earth, humans must first learn to adapt and survive in those original, inhospitable climates. Extreme temperatures, unbearable pressure, and storms of dust or geomagnetic pulses unlike anything ever experienced before. We must withstand all of it if we are to make new homes for humanity. Those first moments, the first rockets, the first settlements, the first sunrises and sunsets, will be critical not only to our future as a spacefaring species, but our ultimate survival in this universe. Before our giant leap comes our first small steps. Before we etch our story into the echelons of time in a new world, we must first bear witness to its magnificent emptiness. Before we make history, we must first make landfall. Available on iOS and Android. Barnard 68 is actually part of a much larger dark nebula in the vicinity of Ophiuchus, known as the Dark Horse Nebula. The Great Dark Horse, as it's sometimes known, looks remarkably like the side view of a prancing horse and is one of the largest dark nebulas in our night sky. Multiple other, smaller, dark nebulas make up the overall impression of this massive equine that frolics in silhouette against the hazy glow of the Milky Way. There's also the Pipe Nebula, whose stem and bowl make up the horse's hind leg and rear, and the S-shaped Snake Nebula that forms one of the horse's raised front legs. Not far from the Great Dark Horse Nebula, which is located just outside the constellation's right leg, you'll find a different kind of nebula that can be much more interesting to look at if the absence of light isn't exactly your thing. The Little Ghost Nebula is what's known as a planetary nebula. Though these types of nebulas don't actually have anything to do with planets, the term simply has to do with their round, planet-like shapes. The Little Ghost Nebula doesn't really resemble a ghost either, so much as it resembles a stunning blue-green eye. The white dwarf star at the center of the nebula appears as a faint dot of light inside the pupil, while a gorgeous aquamarine ring of ionized oxygen, hydrogen, and nitrogen atoms form the iris. Further up in the constellation, just above where the serpent crosses the figure's waist, is another planetary nebula that takes on a very different shape on account of a rather interesting feature, the fact that there are not one, but two stars at its center. Known as the Twin Jet Nebula, or Minkowski's Butterfly for the German-American astronomer who discovered it, Rudolf Minowski, 
The nebula produces two remarkably covered lobes that flare in either direction like butterfly wings that shimmer the color of a rainbow oil slick. The twin jet nebula is increasing in size over time, allowing astronomers to determine that these stunning double lobes likely formed as recently as 1200 years ago, a discovery that puts into perspective just how spontaneous and dynamic our universe really is. Another large region of nebulas in Ophiuchus, mostly nebulas of the dark variety, is known as the Rho Ophiuchi Cloud Complex. Situated just below the figure's left leg at a distance of 460 light years from Earth, this region is one of the closest star nurseries to our solar system. In the most active part of this cloud complex, there have been detected 16 protostars and 200 T Tauri stars, a class of stars that are less than 10 million years old. Despite consisting mostly of dark nebulas, such as the dark river clouds that appear to flow toward the neighboring dark horse nebula, the Rho Ophiuchi complex is actually full of blues, pinks, reds, and yellows, making it a very photogenic region of space. You'll also find in Ophiuchus a pretty interesting galaxy, one that's located just under where the figure's heart would be. The Starfish Galaxy, so named for the brilliant appendages that appear to be swooping out in all directions, actually began as three galaxies that collided, leaving two active galactic nuclei behind and producing its unusual shape. The two remaining black holes of the Starfish Galaxy are currently 3,000 light years apart, but they're steadily growing closer to each other and astronomers believe that within the next 10 to 20 million years, they will form a closely orbiting binary black hole system before they merge into one. On the topic of black holes and Ophiuchus, it was revealed in February of 2020 that the biggest known explosion in the universe, save for the Big Bang itself, happened in the centermost galaxy of the many small galaxies and galaxy groups that comprise the Ophiuchus supercluster about 240 million years ago. The explosion occurred when the galaxy's supermassive black hole began regurgitating the 270 million suns worth of matter it had consumed over time, bringing to mind the infamous wafer-thin mint scene from Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. This unparalleled explosion blew a cavity one and a half light years wide in the X-ray bubble that surrounds the galaxy. Astronomers believe the eruption itself may have lasted for several million years, easily making this the worst case of galactic indigestion on record. For one of the least famous constellations, Ophiuchus truly does boast some astronomical treats, and we're learning more about it all the time. In fact, the Voyager 1 space probe has been heading in the direction of Ophiuchus since its launch on September 5th of 1977. The probe set out with the goal of studying the space beyond our sun's heliosphere and is still going today, making it the farthest man-made object from Earth. Voyager 1 crossed the boundary of the heliosphere on August 25th, 2012 and has been progressing through interstellar space ever since, experiencing the occasional blast of solar wind amidst the steady hum of interstellar gas, which astronomers compare to a gentle rain. While Voyager 1's mission will come to an end in 2025, when its thermoelectric generators will no longer be able to power its instruments, 
Astronomers show no sign of slowing down when it comes to cool discoveries in the vicinity of the celestial snake bearer. In 2012, astrophysicists at the Niels Bohr Institute in Copenhagen detected glycolaldehyde in the Rho-Ophiuchi cloud complex. That may not sound like a big deal until you learn that glycolaldehyde is a sugar that's essential for the formation of RNA, the nucleic acid found in all living cells. Then, in 2017, astronomers at the Atacama Large Millimeter Array in Chile picked up on the presence of methyl isocyanate in the region. When combined with other materials, this helps form amino acids and peptides, which are essential in building protein. I'm not saying we're looking at the seeds of a future extraterrestrial intelligence a mere 400 light years away from us in the direction of Ophiuchus, but I'm also not saying that. Either way, these discoveries provide researchers invaluable information regarding the formation of life-building molecules in space. On a somewhat more trivial note, NASA caused a bit of a furor in 2020 when they pointed out that Ophiuchus is actually the 13th zodiac sign since the sun passes in front of the constellation from November 30th to December 18th every year. Ophiuchus was intentionally left out by the Babylonians because they followed a 12-month calendar and simply wanted a constellation to go with each month of the year, no more, no less. The realization that a 13th sign would have to somehow fit into the zodiac calendar also shed light on the fact that things have changed a bit over time, as the universe is wont to do, and the sun no longer passes through each of the constellations on all of their assigned zodiac dates. NASA's mic drop caused some to begin to wonder if they weren't in fact born under a different sign. One commentator remarked, I woke up this morning firmly believing that I was an outgoing, courageous, independent, generous Leo. However, now I have to come to grips with the fact that I am in fact a stupid, sulky, inconsiderate, pessimistic cancer. I have gone from lion to crab, and it weighs heavily upon me. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, NASA has nothing to do with astrology, and despite the scare, no changes have been made regarding the zodiac dates. It's fun to consider what your alternate sign might be, though, if you're into horoscopes and want to factor Ophiuchus into a 13-month year. From giving astrologers early grays, to harboring life-building space sugars, to laying claim to the titles of most recent supernova and biggest explosion ever, Ophiuchus is clearly short of no surprises. While you may have a hard time making out its less brilliant stars in the night sky, it may be enough simply to know that it's there and to recognize that this humble constellation is every bit as cool as its more famous companions in the sky. Happy terraforming. Settle the Stars is a proud member of the Edgeworks Nebula, a collection of intriguing and informative podcasts from Edgeworks Entertainment. Edgeworks Nebula. Get ready to geek out. The Wired Science Podcast explores all the latest and greatest in science, everything from strange diseases and biological breakthroughs to interesting tech and mysteries in outer space. Listen to Wired Science today wherever you get your podcasts. That's Wired Science wherever you get your podcasts.